Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. December 6th edition of PFTPM, the Wednesday in-season ritual, except when we don't do it on a Wednesday. We are doing it this Wednesday, obviously, or I wouldn't be here right now. Well, I'd be here. I'd be sitting here. I just wouldn't be talking to you. You get the point. Uh, Old business. If you haven't bought it yet, buy it now on our way home. $9.99, print edition on Amazon, $3.99, ebook, and limited time offer, which I already sort of regret. If you buy 10 copies of the print edition, 10 copies, that's $99.90. You get 10 gifts that you can give to anyone or everyone, up to 10 people, you get a free signed personalized copy directly from me. All you gotta do is buy 10 and send me the proof of purchase to Florio at profootballtalk.com. Every dollar that I get goes to the Humane Society of Harrison County, West Virginia, no-kill animal shelter that provides care and feeding to dogs and cats waiting for their permanent homes as long as it takes. Those dogs and cats are there. So on our way home, get it for your home. Get 10 of them that you can give to others for their homes. Good Christmas read. Dark, like a Christmas carol and It's a Wonderful Life. But I don't want to give away any spoilers, but how many, how many, how many books or movies have truly sad, miserable endings? That's all I'll say about that. Also, Father of Mine available for Christmas purchases. It's much thicker and much more substantial. It's longer. There's more words in it, so it costs a little bit more. Fourteen ninety nine for the print edition. Four ninety nine for the ebook. This is the this is the one and only one matte cover. Somebody said last week, get with the times and get rid of the glossy cover and go with the matte cover. The problem is the matte cover didn't turn out real well, so switched on the fly to the glossy cover. This is glossy, and I think it looks saucy. Um, also, as I keep whacking around at my microphone with the books, Playmakers is still floating around out there. This is this is a limited edition advanced reading copy, not for sale. Do not sell. If you sell it, you will go to hell. Maybe I'll sell that one of these days. I'm going to hell anyway. All right. Um, <laughs> on that happy note, you might notice the decorations behind me. Those are two ceramic houses that my mother made a long, long time ago. The one to my left is an igloo type house it was a snow house i think is what my mom called it snow house that um that she made probably in the 70s late 70s early 80s the one to my right is a more normal looking regular house that she made i think like because what would happen is she'd make these things for everybody but family members. She had orders all the time. She was working on these things all the time down in our basement, painting ceramics and all these different things and all the different paint styles and glazes and whatnot. She'd make them for everyone else. 
and she never got around to making them for family. I think she made the one over my right shoulder after she was diagnosed with cancer and she wanted to be sure that I had one before she was gone. So that means a lot to me and I'm always concerned I'm going to drop it and shatter it. So far, so good. And it's going to sit there for the rest of the season and probably longer because I got a bad habit when it comes to not putting away my Christmas decorations, even though once Christmas comes and goes, it's kind of hard to look at those things because it's not Christmas anymore. But you may be looking at these for a while. We'll see. We'll see how much longer after December 25, the snow house and the traditional house are out there. All right, let's get to it. Not a whole lot to talk about today, but but it was announced not long before we started this Wednesday edition of PFTPM. Zach Wilson back as the starting quarterback of the New York Jets. Tim Boyle gone. Trevor Simeon benched. Robert Sala, the head coach of the team, announced to reporters on Wednesday that Zach is back. And that whole thing from Monday about Zach Wilson reportedly being reluctant to play. I just wish it would have been handled differently, as does Aaron Rodgers. Separate and apart from whether someone was trying to sabotage Zach Wilson, I'm not sure that's the case. I just know from being in this business, there is a temptation to rush to Twitter or wherever with news. And the juicier the news the more quickly you feel compelled to get there because someone else may get it first. So it doesn't get vetted the way it should. That's what I keep coming back to. The advice that someone gave me when it comes to determining when to reach out to the subject of a report for comment, when do you owe it to the subject of the report to contact that person, that team, that coach, that whoever, and give them a chance to respond to what you're about to report? When it's something like this, you need to take the time. And I don't mean this to be a criticism of the athletic. They had two reporters on this. That's fine. But I think that desire to be first, that desire to beat ESPN to the punch, desire to beat NFL Network to the punch, that overcame good basic journalistic practices. And look, I've got no journalistic education, but I've been doing this 23 years. And I've learned a lot from my screw-ups. And over time, I've gotten to the point where I understand there's an instinct that kicks in when it's time to try to get a comment from someone who was in the wrong end of a report that makes them look bad. And this makes Zach Wilson look bad. And there's no taking it back at this point. Now, I don't know how much it would have changed things, but out of fairness to the person who is the subject of the report, an effort needs to be made to get a comment from him. The advice that I got, if you're going to report that the Easter bunny does not like chocolate, you'd better get a comment from the Easter Bunny, when it's something that goes against the very character of the person, the nature of what they do, the reason for them even being in the job they're in. And this was pretty strong. You got a football player who's reluctant to play football. No matter her, who you hear that from, unless you hear from the guy who's at the heart of it, maybe he'd admit it, or maybe he'd give some explanation that kind of makes it a little bit true. I remember when Carson Wentz, the first time we got a glimpse that there were teammates who were concerned about the way that he interacted with them. When he finally spoke about it, he said, yeah, you know what? They have a point. So regardless of whether the person refutes it, confirms it, has no comment, whatever, 
that remember that Easter Bunny comment as you're digesting news, or if you're a reporter out there that's listening to this, first of all, thank you. Second of all, keep that in mind. When it runs counter to the very nature of the person's work, and this one did, get a comment. Try to get a comment. And you can say, if you try and they stonewall, you can say, we request a comment. No comment was provided. There was no response to our request for comment. There was no comment. The comment was no comment, whatever it may be. I just feel like to take away the perception that it was some sort of a, of a personal attack on Zach Wilson, giving him an opportunity to add to the narrative as it's being crafted is critical. Now, what's critical for the Jets? Let's win some football games. And I don't like how they've handled this quarterback position. Sala said today, he's always believed Zach Wilson gives him the best chance to win. Why'd you bench him then? Well, we needed a spark. So you're going to get a spark from somebody who's less than the guy that you think is going to give you the best chance to win. And this all goes back to how toxic it is, frankly, to be a member of the Jets organization. Biggest media market in the world, and it comes with all sorts of problems. The fans are impatient. The media is impatient. No matter what you do, if you're not winning, they don't care what the explanation is. You're not winning. You stink even though they lost their starting quarterback four snaps into the season. No excuses, and they're going to pounce, and they're going to pounce, and they're going to pounce. And I think the problem is the Jets have gotten themselves so twisted up with this, it's going to keep them from being as good as they can be in 2024. As I've said, Aaron Rodgers needs to come out right now and declare that he's playing next year. No delicate genius routine. No deferring the final decision until March so you can get 500,000 users simultaneously logged on to the Pat McAfee YouTube channel, and then another 5 million tuned into ESPN for the big reveal on what Aaron Rodgers is going to do. No dark rooms, no ayahuasca. Tell us now that you're coming back next year. So then Woody Johnson, the owner of the team, can follow it up by saying we're not making any major changes. We will make changes. But Joe Douglas will be back as the GM. Robert Sala will be back as the head coach. Nathaniel Hackett will be back as the offensive coordinator. Aaron Rodgers will be back as the starting quarterback. I think they need to have him do it before they do it because we know how he is. This isn't a criticism. It's a reflection of reality. If somebody from the Jets would come out and say Aaron Rodgers is definitely coming back next year, he'll be pissed. He was pissed about the Zach Wilson leak. And he says some stuff publicly that maybe would be better handled privately. It's funny. There's an irony to it, if I'm using the word properly, that he's complaining basically about dirty laundry being aired out by people who are talking to reporters off the record. Well, he's saying on the record, it's a chicken shit thing to do. Why not just say, this is an issue that I'm going to handle internally with my teammates, with the coaching staff, and we'll make sure that these things don't happen in the future. The problem is when you have a horde of media swarming around the team, and when you have an item of interest, of controversy, of intrigue, it sells. The Jets sell. They may not be very good, but they're an interesting team. And everything they do is interesting. And part of this comes from the fact that Aaron Rodgers wants us to be interested. He wants to be the center of attention. He wants to be the guy that we all talk about. And then he wants to be able to complain that we're talking about him too much. All right, no more talking about him. Back to Sunday, 49ers Eagles. The incident on the white stripe that separates the field from the bench area. Big Dom, Dom DeSandro, the head of security for the Eagles, steps into the white stripe to separate Devontae Smith from 
49ers linebacker Dre Greenlaw. Puts his hands on Greenlaw, pushes him away. Greenlaw throws a punch that Peter King aptly described as Greenlaw trying to apply shaving cream to the face of Dom DeSandro. Greenlaw is ejected, even though the, the, the punch barely grazed his face, and then DeSandro was ejected. We're waiting to see what the NFL does about it. One high-level source with a different team told me today, whatever it is, they're going to try to keep it quiet. Whatever it is, they're not going to make an announcement about what they did. And it may be at the end of the day, the Eagles are the ones that disciplined DeSandro. So it looks like the Eagles have their act together. And I'm not saying he should be disciplined, but I know that there are others in the league who believe that this can't stand, that this is something that can't happen, that you can't create in an inadvertent roundabout way any sort of incentive to have non-players instigate with players in the hopes that maybe somebody comes over and punches someone in the face. We'll gladly trade having our non-player ejected for having your player ejected. We'll gladly do that. Not that's what the Eagles did. I'm not saying it's what the Eagles did. My point is what happened and the way it was received and the way people responded to it and reacted to it, I think that's the obvious takeaway. We could use this to our advantage. We'll gladly give up our head of security for an all-pro linebacker. So what I think the league needs to do, because I've been talking to some people about this and I've been made aware of some other incidents that we never really paid attention to like this one. It didn't bubble up out of game of the year with that atmosphere of hostility that already existed between the 49ers and the Eagles dating back to the NFC championship game and the big talking and, you know, the incident before the game where the players were mixing together and, and it just had an extra layer of acrimony to it. I think the right way to handle this is to not punish the Eagles, not punish DeSandro, but at the same time, send a clear statement that's given to the media, a warning for everyone. These are the rules going forward. And if you violate them, there will be significant punishment. No more free passes, no more misinterpretations, no more accidents, no more guy just thinks he's trying to help keep the peace. If you're a non-player, number one, keep out of the white stripe. And number two, you're not a peacekeeper. You're not there to lay hands on anybody. If you lay hands on a player, you're ejected, and there will be further disciplinary action up to and including termination of employment. Not that they should, but you at least make it clear that that is known to everyone as a potential risk and that everyone is aware that these are the rules going forward. That's how the Bounty Gate scandal should have been handled from 2012. That's what former Commissioner Paul Tagliabue said when he struck down the commissioner's effort to suspend the various Saints players. He said that the bounty situation was a cultural problem in the NFL. It wasn't confined to one team. What the league decided to do was take one team and make an example out of that team as a way to scare everyone else straight. Tagliabue said, here's the better way to do it. This is what Pete Rozelle did with steroids. You don't just pick one team and say, you're on double secret probation or this guy's suspended, that guy's suspended, you're losing your first round pick, whatever. You just say, look, we don't care about what happened. We care, but we're not going to obsess over what happened in the past. We're looking forward and looking forward. Here are the rules. And if you violate them, there's going to be hell to pay. That's the right way to handle this. After I've had a few days to think about it, talk about it, understand that there've been other similar incidents. There was something with, I have it here somewhere. 
Ronnie Harrison of the Browns, Greg Lewis of the Chiefs. If you remember that a couple of years ago along the sidelines, there was some pushing and shoving. Quay Walker had an issue with a Bills trainer. There's some others that I want to get some more information on, but this isn't the first time this has happened. It's just the first time it was a really big deal. You know, he's a big, gregarious guy. He injected himself into what is the official's job to keep players apart to prevent an altercation. So I think whatever happens needs to be, if there is any punishment, minimal. I think what the league needs to do, more importantly, is focus on going forward. These are the rules. This is how this is going to be handled. And if you run afoul, any team, anyone, any person, if you break these rules, there will be significant discipline. There's been a lot of talk about Bill Belichick's future. Short term, I think he's going to finish the season. Now, Thursday night, they lose in embarrassing fashion, mini buy on the back end. I still don't think he's going to be fired. I think that Robert Kraft is holding out some sort of hope of a possible trade. So you got to get to the end of the season and you either keep him until someone calls or there's a mutual parting with the understanding that the Patriots still hold his rights. If someone wants to hire him, they got to deal with the Patriots. Now, as I may have mentioned in the past, the ultimate nuclear option for Belichick, if the Patriots are driving too hard of a bargain, is to say, fine, I'll just come back. You want too much for me? You want two first-round picks? I'll just come back and coach. That would be the quickest way to get fired, and then he can go wherever he wants. See, that's the thing. If he gets fired, he goes wherever he wants. If he resigns, or if they just squat on him, he has to wait for a team to give up value to try to get him. And that's the other side of this from Belichick's perspective. Do you want your new team's hands to be tied by giving up draft picks that you could use to make your new team better? Belichick would presume to be free and clear. The Patriots would prefer to get value. We'll see how it plays out. It really is odd, though. I saw that someone, I think from CSN New England, made this point. Why are we delaying the inevitable? Why not just be done with it? I really do think it comes down to the Patriots holding out hope that they'll get some value for Bill Belichick. And that's the other side of this. Will there be teams that want him? How do you sell this guy who is miserable? And he is. He comes off as miserable all the time. And I've heard time and again, oh, you get him away from football and he's a fun guy. Yeah, fine, fine. Somebody needs to tell him. And you know, I, I always have this issue where like every group has the one person who's a complete and total jerk and the friends all make excuses for him. It's like, you don't have to make excuses for this adult who understands or at least should understand the connection between their behaviors and how people are going to react to it. Like don't make excuses for them. They're choosing to be assholes. And Bill Belichick for 20 plus years has chosen to be an asshole when dealing with the media. Whatever his explanation, whatever his excuse, you know, this military mindset can't say anything. Everyone's the enemy. Everyone's out to get me. The only time he says anything worthwhile is when he, he's asked some obscure question about the wing T formation from 1942, because there's no way that can affect him in any negative way now. For everything else, the wall's up and, oh, he's trying to protect his players. There's a way to do it. There's a way to not be a jerk and communicate with the media. And the problem is, whether it's the Chargers whether it's the Buccaneers, whether it's the commanders or someone else, whoever it may be, the owner may get interested. And if the media catches wind of it, they're going to do everything they can to shout it down and to instigate the fans to say, we don't want him. And I mean, think about it. For your own favorite team, 
whichever team you might follow, ask yourself this question. If you had a coaching vacancy after this season, do you want Bill Belichick, yes or no? I think if we did a scientific poll, and maybe I'll do a poll on Twitter, simple question. Do you want Bill Belichick to coach your favorite team? Yes or no? See, the problem is some teams have coaches that you look at and say, well, no, Andy Reid. I'm not giving up Andy Reid for Bill Belichick. I'm not giving up Sean McVay for Bill Belichick. I'm not giving up Kevin O'Connell for Bill Belichick, right? I'm not giving up Shane Steichen for Bill Belichick. But if you had no coach right now, would you want Bill Belichick? I think more fans than you realize would say no thank you. And it's going to be interesting to see after the season whether or not any team rushes to try to get Bill Belichick as its next head coach. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. One more point on officiating. We've written about it. We've talked about it. Jerry Jones talked about it. Here's what it comes down to. And the issues with officiating flow directly back to the concerns the NFL had about the legalization of gambling. I wrote about this yesterday. It really is a stunning reversal. I'm surprised the commissioner didn't have to resign. Given all the things he said against the legalization of gambling, for the NFL to not just take a hands-off approach to gambling once the floodgates open, but to rush to grab every last dollar, can't reconcile that with what the commissioner said before gambling was legalized. Specifically what he said in the litigation that led to the U.S. Supreme Court ruling allowing each state to determine on its own whether or not it wants to have legalized gambling. Goodell's concern was, and I'm paraphrasing, but we've got the links at PFT to the articles. His concern was if gambling is legalized, normal incidents of the game like bad calls, fumbles, drop passes, coaching blunders, you're going to have people who think that the fix is in. And what do we deal with now? All the time, all the time, the fix is in. And I know they, they try to lean into it like, hey, we're cool. How do you do, fellow kids? It's scripted. It's scripted. They're in on that joke. But the reality is, scripted or not, there's a belief by many that the game is rigged or individual officials are corrupt like Tim Donahue. When Jerry Jones addressed it on Tuesday and said, basically, the two teams accept the fact that the officials might make mistakes and you assume that they're not corrupt. 
Well, I think you have to do more than assume. I think you better be exercising your prerogative to continuously check the background, the spending habits, the financial position of the officials. And if the officials have a problem with it, go find something else to do. This is too important to not have a scandal that could bring down the whole operation. And I wonder what would happen to the NFL if there would be a Tim Donahue scandal. It's not like the NBA went bankrupt, but you just don't want to get to a point where the NFL loses control over its product. And you know what? Maybe it would be better if the NFL did. I keep coming back to that. Like, I don't know why I'm carrying the NFL's water on this idea that they should be in control of their business when we see the results of what happens when they're in control of their business. They do stupid things like refuse to reimagine the officiating function, refuse to spend the money necessary to create the perception they're doing everything they can to improve officiating. Oh, there'll always be mistakes, but there's a difference between, you know what, there's always going to be mistakes, so what the hell, and saying, we understand that there's a possibility of mistakes and that some mistakes are inevitable, but we are doing everything in our power to prevent any and all mistakes. And when there is a mistake, we take it personally, we take it seriously, we try to learn from it so there's no mistake in the future very different attitude. And this idea from Jones that there's like this gentleman's agreement that, well, you know, we may get a half blind referee, as Jones said, you may get somebody who doesn't know how to apply the rules, but we accept that's part of the game, just like the weather, just like the wind, just like the bounce of the ball. It could help you. It could hurt you. And that's the thing about bad calls. For every bad call, there's a good call. And I don't mean good and that it was accurate, I mean there's some other team that benefits from it. When Marquez Valdez-Scantling gets wiped out in crunch time on Sunday night and the Packers don't get flagged for pass interference, that helps the Packers. And I think the attitude is, you know what? Number one, we're all making a shitload of money. Number two, the calls are all going to even out over the long haul. Some days they'll hurt us, some days they'll help us. It's not worth spending the money to try to make it better when at the end of the day, it's really not going to be all that much better. That's the justification, I believe, for not doing anything. And fine, keep doing that. Maybe Congress should show up. Maybe there should be an agency that has oversight of the NFL. Maybe that's the only way to truly reimagine the officiating function and make it better, or at least create the impression they're doing everything they can to get it right because of legalized gambling. The NFL can't have it both ways. The NFL can't stuff its pockets with sportsbook money and not do anything to try to make it better for the people who aren't part of the two-team bubble. And they're willing to say, okay, shit happens. You okay with that? You okay with the possibility of a bad call? I'm okay with it. Are you okay with it? The people on the fringes who are spending their money betting on these games, they're not okay with it. The sooner the NFL wakes up to that, the better off the NFL is going to be. All right, let's look at some questions for today. Why don't I refresh the question page to make sure I have the latest and greatest, hopefully, questions to answer on this Wednesday PFTPM. PFTPM Posse, what was your relationship like with the NFL and the Vikings the years right before you started writing for the Four Letter Network? As you may understand and you may remember, I was with ESPN.com for six months. Before that, I was with a website called Pro Football Talk. No, NFLTalk.com. Since 2001, it's been profootballtalk.com. Before that, the website was nfltalk.com. I worked for them on an unpaid basis. They went out of business, basically. ESPN bought the carcass. I was in the right place at the right time. I went to work for ESPN.com for six months. I still have the one-year contract in my office. Well, I'm in my office. It's in the closet. Uh, I decided in lieu of signing the one-year contract to stay from November 1, 2001 through October 31, 2002, I'll launch PFT. So 
look, before I got into the business, I was, like most of you, an avid fan of one team. You don't stumble into being a fan of the NFL without having an allegiance. It's no fun if there isn't one team that you follow above all others. And I know fantasy football has kind of skewed those rooting interests, but I was a very rabid, over-the-top, crazy-ass Vikings fan who was constantly paying attention to the NFL because I wanted to see what moves they're making, what are their prospects this year, could this year finally be the year that will undo the multiple years of psychological damage that was done to me in the 70s because the Vikings could never win a Super Bowl. And as I've said before, if that's the worst thing that happens to you in childhood, it's not a bad childhood. So once I started writing and covering and following and talking about the NFL, you become objective. You have no choice but to be objective. You can't be a fan. You can't be a fan reporter. And if anything, I'm harder on the Vikings than I am on other teams because I want to be 100% sure that I am objective. I've criticized them probably more than any other team in the NFL. So I, I was all in. It was the early days of Randy Moss's tenure with the Vikings. I was convinced they'd win a Super Bowl between Dennis Green as the head coach and Randy Moss as the star receiver. I was convinced they'd get a Super Bowl at some point. Their best chance was 98. They got back to the conference championship in 2000. You know, they had three games down the stretch that they lost. If they, and remember the he did what play? The catch by who was the Packers receiver? Free PFT subscription to whoever reminds me of who the Packers receiver was. But that play, that moment, Chris Dishman was the Vikings defensive back in coverage. C-R-I-S, C-R-I-S Dishman, no H. But uh, that play, if the Vikings win that game, they're the top seed and they host the NFC Championship instead of having to go to Giant Stadium. They had grass at the time. Giants scored on the opening drive. Troy Walters failed to field the kickoff. It hit the grass, bounced up in the air. Giants recovered it. 14-0 game over before you know it. Final score, 41 zip. That was a long day. But you know what? You know what? And I think a lot of you out there that have been through this can relate. It's better to just get your ass kicked early and know that it's over than have three, three and a half hours of constant pain and back and forth and torture before you finally lose. I'd much rather get blown out than have my heart ripped out at the tail end of a game. PFT PM Posse, how often are you recognized when out and about, whether in West Virginia, New York, wherever? What is your most memorable random fan meeting? Antonio Freeman, by the way. Thank you, Courtney. Antonio Freeman, well done. He was the one who made the, he did what? Catch in November, December of 2000. 2000. I was thinking 2001, 2002, 2000 is what it was. So, I get recognized more away from my home area than I do in my home area. Now, I think like when I go to the grocery store and I usually go once a week just because I like going to the grocery store. I like it because it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. You have a list of what you want. You go to the store and you get what you want and you bring it home and you put it all away. There is something satisfying to me of going there, getting what you want, bringing it home, it's over and it's done. You've completed something, you can check a box. I just like that. And I don't get out of the house much. I'm basically on house arrest. I've said this before. Once I realized where a person who is on house arrest can and can't go, I'm on house arrest. So um, I'll be at the grocery store and every once in a while somebody will say something to me. Every once in a while I'll run into someone who has no idea that I live here. Like it's 
what are you doing here? Why are you here? What? what well, I live here. You live here? I live here. So uh, that happens from time to time. At the airport, and there's different looks that you get from people. I'll get the look from somebody who clearly knows who I am, isn't inclined to come talk to me the way I would be. I know who that is, quick nod, and you keep going. But then there's the look from the person who knows they should know you, but they don't know how. That's what I get more than anything else. Because you take me out of my normal context, my normal habitat, and you drop me down in an airport or walking down the street in New York City or whatever, you'll get just, and I know it, I've seen it enough times that I know that facial expression when someone thinks they know who I am, but they don't know who, they don't know how. I think somebody at one of the Super Bowls in the days preceding thought I was Armin Katayan. I don't know whatever happened to Armin Katayan. I don't think I look like Armin Katayan, but maybe I do. I've been getting out of the car at a hotel in Manhattan and a guy goes by on a bike and goes, hey, Florio. So you just never know when someone's going to recognize you. And I can't think of one that stands out above all others. There was one recently, though. There's a grocery store close to the hotel that I stay at in Greenwich. And part of my routine once I get to town for the night is I take a nice little walk to this grocery store. I get some stuff for the room. I'll get a sandwich. There's a Jersey Mike's there, unsolicited and unpaid endorsement for Jersey Mike's. But a guy working at the grocery store said to me a couple of Saturdays ago, you look like this guy on TV named Mike Florio, but I decided you're not him. And I thought about, I thought about saying, you know, yeah, you're right. But I, I told him, no, nope, no, nope, it's me. And we talked for a while. And, you know, I don't get recognized enough in public that it's ever something that I regard as a pain in the butt. If somebody wants to take a selfie, that's fine to me. As I've said before, to the folks out there who get asked for something like that and say no, the amount of time it takes to say no is roughly equivalent to the amount of time that it takes to say yes. Just do it. Just do it and be done with it. Do it and move on. Like, why do you care? Why not just do it? Because the other side of it is this. You say no and you move on. And that person is always going to remember you as an asshole instead of just doing it. And one of the reasons they want to do it is because they know who you are. You're in the public eye. You make money from being in the public eye. You're not in the public eye because you're connected to some notorious crime and you're not getting paid for it. Everybody who gets asked to take a selfie out in public has either made a shitload of money in the past to justify that or will be making more money in the future. So anyway, I never say no in part because it, it doesn't happen all that often. And I kind of get a, I kind of get just funny when it happens. It's because it's like, why the hell does anybody want to take a picture with me? I still, after all these years, I'm like, okay, okay. Somebody wants me to sign something. It's like, hey, if you want to make it worth less than it is, I'll gladly sign it. Okay. George Cush, talk about hard knocks and how you were wrong. This is the whole Tyree kill. It sure looked like Tua Tonga Valoa threw a bad pass and the Tyree kill did a great job of adjusting to it. And then Tyree Kill after the game said that initially he thought it was a bad pass, but he decided he had run the wrong route. And I guess apparently the latest edition of Hard Knocks proves that he made that acknowledgement during the game. I still am a little skeptical. I haven't seen it yet. I still think that Tyree Kill understands it's in his best interest to prop up Tua. 
and to give Tua all the credit and all the praise. He's being selfless and in turn being selfish because in order to get the most out of Tua as his quarterback, he needs to prop him up, most accurate quarterback in the NFL. And he just needs to trust that people who get it will see that play and say, man, Tyreek Hill made a hell of a play. And even if he ran the wrong route, holy shit, what a play that was. Looking over one shoulder to turn the other way and look over the other shoulder and still track the ball and take just a hair off of your full speed so you make a perfect catch. That's incredible. And that's one of the reasons why he's a favorite to be MVP. If the Dolphins are the one seed or close to it in the AFC, and if Tyreek Hill breaks the single season receiving yardage record, it's going to be hard for me to not make Tyreek Hill the number one vote for MVP. Remember, there are five. And I think there's going to be some vote splitting between Tua and Tyreek and between Brock Purdy and Christian McCaffrey. But I'm going to go Tyreek. There's another question about Tyreek that's just under that. Tom Marshall, our good friend from the UK. Will Tyreek Hill's checkered pass affect his chances of becoming MVP? It shouldn't, but I think it will. Because there will be voters, I believe, and they're all human. There's no AI voting for MVP. There's going to be voters who will think they are making a rational, objective, dispassionate decision to pick Tua or someone else, but at some level they're being influenced by the fact that they don't like Tyreek. They don't like the fact that he pleaded guilty in college to choking his pregnant girlfriend, whatever it was that happened prior to the 2019 draft. These reporting that hit and who knows how that was all resolved, but it was very, very troubling. What all was emerging was very troubling about his son with a broken arm and he ultimately was exonerated wasn't prosecuted, but there's going to be people out there who just don't like Tyreek Hill. And they're going to, they're going to say, oh, it has nothing to do with that. They'll say that. They'll be able to say it truthfully, but it could affect him. And that could be the difference at the end of the day in whether he has enough votes and whether he doesn't. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. D Cowboys 777, you haven't brought this up this year about the championship games going to a neutral site, which we knew was not going to happen. I never said it was going to happen, but there were people in the league office that wanted it to happen. I guarantee you that. I Listen, there's enough real shit to cover that I don't have to make stuff up. And if I was going to make stuff up, it would be a hell of a lot more compelling than the possibility 
of the conference championship games becoming college-style neutral site bowl games. And I know there are people in the league office that want to do it. I don't care what they say publicly. I know because they've said it to me. They are they they like the idea of how it would look. Half the stadium Dolphins, half the stadium Chiefs. They like that. It's not impossible. There isn't a huge groundswell for it now, but that whole talk of neutral site playoff games last year after the week 17 situation. I'm just, I know that there were people who were like, Hey, you know what? This whole neutral site thing, we can make a hell of a lot more money because what happens is you've currently got the Super Bowl, You got the draft. You could take the conference championship games and you can put them out to bid and make a hell of a lot more money making it a neutral site game than what the league makes by making it a home team game. So I don't think it's ever going to happen, but I guarantee you last year, people in the league office with significant titles, they wanted it and they were actively making the case for it to me. Dr. J 144, what will it take to get the Purdy naysayers on board? Pretty obvious to most of us at this point, the guy's a good quarterback. Some people can't start stop arguing that anyone could do that. Well, one of the reasons that they've had a hard time getting anyone to do it is there's been an issue with keeping the quarterbacks healthy. Purdy can stay healthy. Yes, he had that elbow thing last year, but Purdy is a system quarterback, and that's not a negative. That's not a knock. He runs the Kyle Shanahan system to perfection. Now, is he the MVP over Christian McCaffrey? Debo Samuel made the case for Brock Purdy. Not that long ago, Kyle Shanahan made the case for Christian McCaffrey. I think they will split votes. And I think Purdy is too young. He's too green. He's too raw to be an NFL MVP in only a second season. I know Lamar Jackson was, but I think it's going to take a lot because he wasn't a first-round pick. He's the last guy drafted. I think it's going to be an uphill climb. If they're the one seed, I think he's going to split votes with McCaffrey and somebody else is potentially going to win it. But I still think that he's proven that he can do the job and he can do the job at a very high level. Dr. J144, could you name a few things you'd rather do than watch the Patriots offense? An example would be extinguishing a cigar in your eyeball. I think at this point it's compelling because it's so bad. You want to see how bad it gets. You want to see how many drives are going to be snuffed out, three plays or less, how many turnovers they're going to have, who they're going to trot out at quarterback. So I I, I think it's one of those things. Remember last year, Colts, is it Colts Bears? Colts Broncos, the Thursday night game where Al Michaels said to Kirk Herbstreet, you know, you ever watch a game that was so bad, it was kind of good. Thursday night, Patriots at Steelers, it could be so bad, it's kind of good. Dr. J with another question. Who did it benefit to have that Zach Wilson story out? Usually someone benefits when a story leaks. I can't understand why the Jets or Zach Wilson would want that story out there this week. If Zach's agent leaked that, he should be fired today. A lot of times what happens is people who traffic in information will share with certain reporters good stuff as part of a broader quid pro quo. And part of it is go easy on me. Don't, you know, don't don't rip me, or they just don't like the person that they're spreading the bad information about. Somebody heard Zach Wilson say what he said, and that offends me. There should be no reluctance to play. I can't believe this. I'm going to make sure somebody knows about it. There's a lot of quid pro quo that goes on, though. I can't really think of an obvious quid pro quo here, but there are plenty of agents out there that traffic in information with reporters, hopeful that reporters will look the other way on anything involving those agents or their clients 
that could be painted in negative light. Remember all the stuff Shefty got into, like he's boosting Deshaun Watson and everybody's like, oh, it's kind of a favor to Watson and his agent. Probably not inaccurate. Don't know for sure. Don't sue me, Shefty, but probably not an inaccurate theory when he had those kind of bizarre tweets that seemed to be over the top in their support of Deshaun Watson. There, were, there was the tweeting about Dalvin Cook which kind of felt like a favor to Cook and his agent. That's what the newsbreakers do to maintain their five-minute head start on the announcement of the transaction. To position yourself to get the heads up when there's a contract signed, when a trade happens, whatever it is, you play nice. And sometimes you hold your nose and you tweet something. You, you know, sometimes you'll see tweets from certain accounts about agents who have signed certain players and we look at it and say who gives a shit well the agent does and the other side of that is the person keeps getting notice five minutes before the announcement of a given move assassin 16 with all the new rumors of the raiders head coach john gruden jim harbaugh which is more likely antonio pierce gets the job or out or out. Mark Davis starts over. I think at this point, Mark Davis starts over. I don't think Antonio Pierce has done enough to retain the job, but he's still got five weeks left to prove himself. Judson Gerbier, since the Patriots are probably going to part ways with Bill Belichick, what is the possibility that Bill O'Brien can be the Panthers head coach? He's a former head coach for the Texans with three playoff appearances, and he has coached with Bryce Young. I almost feel like... <laughs> I yeah, like Clark Kent and Superman are the same guy. David Tepper and Bill O'Brien are the same guy. Just take off the glasses and Tepper becomes O'Brien. From a disposition standpoint, I don't think they'd ever get along because they're both too fiery. And I don't think Bill O'Brien's going to want to have David Tepper meddling in the affairs of the team. It's not impossible. And they're looking for an offensive guy. There just hasn't been enough this year from Bill O'Brien in his time back with the Patriots to make anybody say, ooh, that guy. I like the cut of his jib. Let's make him an NFL head coach again. Hayes Meredith, what are the chances the Bills win out and win the AFC East? I think it's going to be hard to win the AFC East, but but they're in good position to get to the playoffs. It's amazing when you think about it. The three seed down to the 11th seed in the AFC is separated by two games. And the Chiefs are 8-4. They're the third seed right now. The Bills are 6-6. Six and six. They play this weekend. The Bills can cut it from two games down to one game. So, yeah, I think the Bills can still can still get to the postseason. I'm sorry, I'm getting some text messages that are attracting my attention, but the Bills can still get to the postseason, and I think that they can be very dangerous when they get there because, you know, you take a team like that and you put them in a nothing-to-lose situation. I think that mentality can be so valuable in the playoffs. Nobody expects anything out of us anyway. We're not going to be tight. We're going to be loose. When you're the, the team that's picked to win it all, and you get to the playoffs, oh, 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 everybody expects us to win. Oh, 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 what are we going to do? When nobody expects you to win, boy, that can be very liberating. And that can cause you to go for it on fourth and two instead of punt. That can cause you to, to throw caution to the wind and call for a fake field goal call for an all-out blitz when you otherwise should play it safe. It's a mentality that can help a team get hot, especially when you've got a great quarterback 
like Josh Allen. The Bills get in. See, if I'm the Ravens, the Dolphins, the Chiefs, the Jaguars, I don't want the Bills in, I don't want the Texans in, and I don't want the Broncos in because they got great coaching for the most part and good quarterbacks. I don't want the best quarterbacks in. I don't want that quarterback, especially a quarterback with playoff experience showing up. I want somebody who's going to be wide-eyed and just happy to be there and not fully cognizant of how it all works. That's what I want. I want Gardner Minshew, not Josh Allen. I want whoever the Steelers will be playing then, not Russell Wilson. And I want C.J. Stroud instead of whoever the Browns would have under center if they make it to the playoffs. Well, I would want to face you, – you, you know what I mean. I don't want to face – Allen, I don't want to face Wilson. I don't want to face Stroud. I'll take the alternatives. All right. Anastasia Williams, how did the Jets just allow Aaron Rodgers to be in complete control of the entire franchise? What a dysfunctional mess. And that's the problem. That's what happens when you sell your soul to Aaron Rodgers. They knew what they were getting into. We're getting a great quarterback. We're also getting a guy who kind of wants to run the show and he's going to be passive aggressive or aggressive aggressive. And now he's getting pissed off at the organization because somebody leaked bad things about his friend, Zach Wilson. I think he's going to play for the Jets next year, but I think he's going to put the Jets through the the same things we saw the Packers get put through in recent years. It's going to be drawn out. There's going to be some uncertainty. I can't imagine him wanting to go anywhere else next year, but maybe he spots another place. Maybe he just decides I want a fresh start. I'm going to ask to be traded by the Jets. What are they going to say? No, they do everything else he wants. Hey, you know what? We tried it. It really didn't work out. I'm either going to retire or I want you to trade me. What are they going to do? See, I think that's next. I think we've lost sight of the fact with all the short-term dysfunction, I still think there's a possibility of Aaron Rodgers being a real problem for the Jets in the offseason hovering out there until he says unconditionally, unequivocally, with no doubt, I'll be back next year. There's a chance that the Jets are going to be in the same position the Packers win. I say that all the time. You know, it happened with Stephon Diggs. It happened with Randy Moss. You trade a player who isn't happy where he is, not necessarily Randy Moss, because I think the Vikings preemptively decided to move on. Let me just focus on Diggs, and let me focus on Rodgers. You trade for a guy who has decided he doesn't want anything more to do with the team he's currently playing for. You step into the batter's box of the next team that this guy's going to decide he doesn't want anything more to do with, because it's never about him. It's always about someone else. So it's got to be about you. I don't like this situation. It's something I did. It's something you did. So you got to wonder. Is he already eyeballing some other team out there that maybe he'll try to get the Jets to trade him to? I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. That's all speculation or fan fiction as the case may be. But until he says he's coming back, there's a possibility we're going to have another major, massive off-season Aaron Rodgers drama in 2024. Quiguck, do you think this is the first real test of Patrick Mahomes' career in terms of how he's playing, how the offense is playing and their hopes for winning another Super Bowl. Look, this may be the first time he plays a playoff game on the road. Never done that. So yeah, it's a real test. The receivers aren't good enough. The defense is good enough until it isn't. And they're going to have a much harder path to the Super Bowl than they've had in past years. David Mitchell, where do you see Riverboat Ron next year? Head coach, doubtful. Defensive coordinator, assistant coach, or is he out of the league? Depends upon his buyout. I could see him taking a year off and then deciding what to do. He's 60 or close to it. Do you come back and be a defensive coordinator somewhere else? Or you just say, I've got my money. I'm just going to ride off into the sunset and enjoy my remaining years. Not that he only has a few, but my point is, why keep putting yourself through this, especially if you don't think you're going to make it back to be a head coach again? 
All right, I should probably wrap it up. Burn unit, what's stopping Congress from intervening with NFL officiating? Are NFL lobbyists preventing it? I think that Congress right now has enough of its own issues. And also with Republicans in charge, and this is not a political statement, with Republicans in charge of Congress, it's less likely they will poke around in the NFL's business. If and when the Democrats are in charge of Congress again, specifically the House of Representatives, that's when you could see a hearing, you could see an investigation, because what changed everything was legalized gambling. When the gambling is illegal, who cares if there's a question about millions of dollars changing hands because of a bad call? Now that it's legal, it's it's something that's in the interests of those who represent the taxpayers whose money is being devoted to legalized gambling. So I think it's just a matter of time. All right, now I should wrap this up. I'm just looking, looking, looking. If there's anything else. Mike, have you ever been in a Turkish prison? Uh, no, and that's a reference to one of the airplane movies, probably the first airplane movie. I haven't seen it in a long time. Maybe I'll watch it this afternoon while I work. Hopefully you'll listen to this while you're working, while you're driving home, whatever it is you may be doing. We appreciate some of your time. I didn't expect to go a full hour today, but we're about at 50, 55 minutes, something thereabouts. Always plenty to talk about in the NFL. Thanks as always for some of your time. Thursday morning, PFT Live, then the Joint Mega Picks podcast, all leading up to the start of week 14, Patriots at Steelers on Thursday night football. Again, thank you. We appreciate you. Buy the books. Go get them now. 10 copies are on our way home. You get a free signed copy, personalized, sent straight to your house, no charge. That's what free means. Thanks as always. See you next time. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.